I felt a little autobiographical uh, back in my family. We're going to finish this series this week, and uh, the last week and this week, we've kind of gone into a little bit more of a topical look at uh, about our families. Last week, we talked about marriage, and this week, we're talking a bit about uh, our, our kids and parenting. Now, I recognize this morning that anytime we talk about parenting, it like shrinks the audience down because not every single person in here uh, fits into this category. Some of you, you're, you've moved past that stage in your life as far as parenting kids or teens. Some of you are not quite there yet, and some of you, that's just not part of your chosen path uh, at all. And so uh, I recognize that it shrinks a little bit, but I would guess this morning that some way, somehow, I think some of this will fit in and will affect in fact, as I studied more and more, as I thought I was giving you a teaching this morning for your kids, I realized that this really hits more home with us as parents, and the same things that we think the younger generation struggle with, um, the truth of the matter is we probably struggle equally with them, all right? So we're going to talk about all that, and I'll make that more clear in just a minute. So, somebody, uh, Friday night, I was talking with somebody, and they asked me, well, tell me, like, Tell me a bit about like your church. What kind of church is it? Well, like what kind? What is your Sunday morning like and that type of thing? And um, knowing that those are questions for me that I could just go on and talk for an hour uh, after that, and he probably was not asking that of me. So I was wise and I refrained from telling him uh, everything. But you know, the phrase that popped into my head was, "You know, I think we're a family, not a production." And when I say that, I mean we're a family, but. Our Sunday morning isn't really a production in the sense that we have to have lights and music and set up audio and visual. In fact, everything we set up, that's the nature of our church right now, uh, where we're at. But the key core thing we want to be a part of our DNA is that we're a family. That means we care for one another, we love one another, we greet one another, we spend time together, we're there when each other goes through a hardship, we're willing to say the hard thing to one another. In fact, sometimes, like, we annoy one another, kind of like happens in a family sometimes. Some of you are like the big brother picking on the little sister um, sometimes. Um, yeah, in fact, I want to talk to you a couple afterwards. Uh, it's just how we function. It's, it's a family. But the neat thing about a family is uh, there's a connectedness that you just, you don't have outside of your family. Am I right? Um, when a family's striking really healthy, that's a good, good thing. And wouldn't it be awesome if somebody who has stepped out of church entirely, somebody who wants to really have not much to do with God or this Jesus thing or anything, if they came and experienced a level of family that they didn't really even think existed within the church? That's really part of our vision. It's part of our goal here. And so I was thinking about it. Is If we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about literally family, my family, not church family, but your family at your house, your, you know, your group of three or four or five, whatever it may be, um, that it's significant that we have our family in order, right? That, that we have our family lives in order because the better we do at home, it's probably going to spill over into the better we do as a church caring for people when they come in our doors. So, make sense? All right? At least logically, that all made sense to me this week. If it doesn't to you right now, I'll just say it's your problem. You have the problem. I was... Maybe it's me. No. It's. So I'm going to look at this. Last week I introduced you to a verse that you probably already knew, but it was in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, God uses it, the scriptures, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
And what we said last week is that often in our marriages, we don't take God's word and evaluate our marriage, you know, week in and week out, evaluate and let it equip us to have better marriages. Now, I think we do a better job using God's word to equip us to be better parents, uh, but nonetheless, that's the overarching uh, passage on our two-week series here. Now, starting next week, we're going to go right back into more expository. We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments for the next ten weeks. And really, we're asking the question, how relevant, how does it really fit into us where we're at uh, today, especially? We'll start that next week. But this week, I want to talk to you specifically about this issue of parenting, and specifically, this little issue of technology with our kids or with our lives, period. Any of you out there into technology? Yeah? A few of you? Like, look, if you didn't raise your hand, um, you, you've really fooled yourself, all right? Because you may not be into it as much as the person next to you who may be a nut, um, but you're into it more than your parents were. And you're f- into it far more than your grandparents were. Technology is just there. The question is, how does it really work into our lives? Look, if we were honest, I think all of us would say, at some, in some way, shape, or form, technology helps And it hurts our family dynamics at our house. It's great to put up, you know, Google Calendar with your family if you're that organized to know where everybody's going and what everybody's doing. But then there's a harmful side of the technology as well. And we're just going to dive into that and talk about that. Here's the the issue this morning, though, is that the Bible really doesn't talk about technology. You know, it doesn't say anything. I know there's that thing about the apple in the beginning uh, of of the Bible, but really the Bible doesn't use the word apple. It's just fruit. So, uh, you know, who knows there. Uh, Leonard Sweet actually said this, we are living now in a brand new TGIF culture. And he calls it Twitter, Google, Instagram, and Facebook. That that is our, that's our new culture. In fact, that was your first blank. If you, if you happen to walk in and you didn't grab uh, one of these, if you somehow got past us, just slip up your hand and uh, Richard's back here. He'll bring you one and, and you'll be able to follow along uh, with us. So if that's our culture, really what we're saying this morning is we're going to mix a little bit of theology and technology. For some of you, that makes you very nervous when we talk about this mixture of of theology and technology. In fact, for you, the whole idea of downloading the Bible onto your phone and following along on your phone, um, I mean, that's just enough to freak you out uh, entirely. So just hang in there this morning and just let us walk through it. And and let me tell you a little bit about uh, our world today, just so you understand it. Do you know that a weekend edition of the New York Times, right, a weekend edition, will carry more information than somebody in the 17th century would have learned in their entire lifetime. One paper. That's, a, that's what's available to us. Our times are a bit different, aren't they? In fact, we're told that somebody who was listed as brilliant from an information perspective, they knew a lot of information, would be very, very average at best today in the area of informational knowledge. So that's different than it used to be. Four million cell phones will be sold today. I don't know, iPhone 6 just came out, so maybe more than four, four million today, but four million cell phones will be sold today. Five, uh, 5,000 books will be published in this coming week. 5,000 books are out there. Those are the things, you know, you open and there's, pa- there's paper pages and those type of things. I want to make sure I'm talking to the younger generation here this morning as well. Um, do you know that uh, in the coming year, while well, we're in this year now uh, in this survey, 20% of people that marry this year will have met online. 
Uh, that's, that's amazing to think about, huh? Have you heard about this, these things called Google Glass? Have you, you've heard? I mean, how many have heard about these? Yeah, yeah, they've been out for a little while now. They've been promoting these times. It's, it's literally like a pair of glasses you put on, and it's putting a smartphone right there on your face that you can interact with and see all the time. I mean, do we need this type of thing, right? I don't know. I'll let you know when I get mine. So I'll tell you all about it. Uh, let me share a little bit that might sober you up here for a second. It's estimated that the pornography industry is a $97 billion industry, mainly because of the access to the internet now. If that's true, those stats, that would mean that it's a bigger industry than the NFL, than the NBA, than professional hockey, professional baseball, all combined. Excuse me, I'm losing my microphone here. Technology. $97 billion industry there. Stats tells that, that teens will t- check their phones every six to eight minutes. I know some of your parents are like, I thought it was like six to eight seconds. Six to eight minutes? I mean, I thought, so maybe that's out of date. Maybe that's last year's stats. And it also says that uh, we are crazy for one word, notification. Meaning that we will open up our Facebook and our Instagram and our Twitter, our Twitters, our Twitter, and we're looking for a notification. We're looking for something that has been sent to us or something that has been put out there that has our name on it, something that connects us with that. And so that's our world. That's what we live in today. We certainly can't deny that we live within that. So what do we do about it is the question today. I want to, uh, as we walk through some of this teaching, uh, I want to give you 4Gs, okay? 4G, like 4G network? Sorry. Oh, come on. That was good. I wrote that on Wednesday morning, and I just thought that was the gold of this. Me- All right. All right. I, I, know, I know you're smiling over there, Jeff, but... I'm not convinced you really thought that was funny. So, but thank you for the smile. I appreciate it. Um, here's the first two G's for you this morning. Um, Gutenbergers and Googlers. You have to look at the screen for the spelling if you're struggling. Gutenbergers and Googlers. Now, we all kind of fit into one of those categories, and then there's kind of an age that goes back and forth within this. Gutenbergers and Googlers. If you're over 40 years old, chances are you're a Gutenberger. All right? And you know you're a Gutenberger because you prefer paper books to anything electronic. And that's kind of one of the defining characteristics of a Gutenberger. In fact, you get your name. It's derived from the printing press uh, created by Johann Gutenberg. So that's kind of where, where, you, where you find your identity a little bit more. Googlers, you're under 40, and you know where you get your identity from. Because anytime there's a question in your generation... Um, there's not a lot of, hmm, let's sit and process this out, right? We whip out the phone, we go to Google, and we type it in, and boom, and it's there. And my, fam- my pa- family's sitting right here right now, and they are, I know what you're saying. They're like, Dad, you are the worst at that in our family. And they would be correct. I say, Google generation, you know, what do you have to figure out? Just look it up. So, Googlers, Gutenbergers are, and Googlers. Now, um, did you identify where you were at? Just there. Let me, let me just share a little bit with you in case you didn't know. Gutenbergers, they like print. Googlers like pixel. Gutenbergers, when you say the word text, uh, they know that's a noun. But Googlers, when they hear the word text, they only know that as a verb. A Gutenberger, when they hear contacts, they think of lenses that are in their eyes. And 
a Googler will think context is how many people they're connected with. Gutenbergers still think Apple is a fruit, and Googlers know it's a company. Gutenbergers found their identity in their automobiles because it gave them their independence. But a Googler finds their identity in their cell phone or their key electronic device because in the same way, they find their independence through that. Are you a Gutenberger this morning? Um, why don't you hold up your arm for me just a second? Will you do that? you mind doing that? Uh, Jeff, the other arm for me. So, yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, how many of you are wearing wristwatches this morning? Yeah, m- many of you. If you're wearing a wa- watch, Morgan, you're not, you're not in Gutenberg. You're, you're breaking the curve here. All right, yeah. If you're wearing a watch this morning, chances are you're a Gutenberger. You wear a watch because you want to know what the time is and you want to look right here. A Googler would say, why would I wear an electronic device that only does one thing? (laughs) My phone does 5,000 things. That's the difference. And so there's this tension. And we would be foolish to think that there's not a tension that shows up into our home sometimes between these two styles. I look at myself and I say, well... I'm definitely a Gutenberg in the sense I love the printed book. I want to read the printed book. I want to write in the printed book. I just can't get into the other way. And so far that there's some times where I like even want to convince myself that reading electronically, you know, doesn't make you as smart as it's going to make me or something like that. You know, that's how we think on here. But I definitely love the technology side too and I get into that as well. I mean, the, the day of printed map is gone in my household because of the GPS that's in the phone. So if you're like me, maybe around 40 years old, um, I mean, I'm 28, but you may be around 40 years old, and you kind of go between this world. Here's the interesting thing I found out before I continue. I started this message this week thinking I was going to help parents and how they need to interact with their kids, especially teen kids, in the area of technology. Here's what I found out. Every single thing that I was looking up about our teens, we do it too. We're in the same category. In fact, not only are we in the same category, but there are new harmful things we do as parents with our technology than just our kids might be doing with their talks. It's a whole different list of things. And so it's clear this morning that though there's these two categories and it's clear that there's characteristics of a Gutenberg and characteristics of a Googler, uh, there's something to be said for both of us. So there's tension that shows up some, uh, some of this. In fact, I was talking with a parent one time. This is about two years ago. Here, a parent in our church. Uh, I was talking on Facebook with a parent. <laughs> um, and as we were discussing this, the thing we were discussing is that their kid... Uh, had gone to a camp with uh, another organization, not, not with our church camp, but another organization, and uh, they couldn't look up in their Bible a certain verse that was asked them. They didn't know where that was. They, they weren't even familiar with the, the book of the Bible, really, but they couldn't find it is basically the gist, right? And the parent was a bit distraught because they thought, you know, we have failed them as a parent. Our, the church has failed them because they don't know the order of the books in the Bible, and they don't quite know how to look for the big number, then look for the small number, and that type of thing. But think about it. As a 13-year-old, which this person was, how often have they been asked to do that? You see, if, if they're allowed to look up in their phone or in their tablet or in their electronic device, they just type in the verse and it goes right to it. There is no flipping and going to that. And so you can see how the tension in two different ways that this would happen. 
Now, we think over here on the printed side that, well, this is the right way, and they should learn how to do it this way, or they're never really going to receive anything from God's Word. But think about it the other way. Let's say we go all the way back, right, before there were books put together the way we know them, right? And somebody was looking, or maybe it was just after books were created, and somebody was going, you know the kids, kids today. I mean, they're just so lazy. They just open up a book, and they flip some pages and find, you know, what they want. They don't have to undo the scroll. They don't, have to, they don't even know how to, how to roll the scroll out and roll the scroll back up. It's just, I, don't, I just don't know what it's coming to these days if they're using a book. And um, it, it's the same type of concept. Whereas the, really the question, as I was talking with his parents, is did the kid receive God's word? Did they receive God's word? Did they put God's word into action? Did they put it into play in their life? As a parent, did you have something you could now discuss with this child about this? The verse that I was thinking of is here in Psalm 119.11. It's this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Most likely David in the Old Testament wrote this. And um, let me blow your mind for a moment. David didn't have a leather-bound Bible that he was reading this from. In fact, David never memorized the books of the Bible. Not quite as we know him. Um, he didn't memorize line and verse like we know him because that verse system was created later. He knew the scripture, but he mainly knew it by some form of written and mostly oral. And that's how he memorized God's word. But we find here he writes this, I've hidden the word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you, that I could put it into practice and live it out. So overall, this tension between the parents, I want to set it straight before we move on and we talk about some, some important things in our family, is that the overarching theme for us, remember, is not do I get my teen to do it the way I did it as I grew up. It is, is my, am I discipling my teen? Am I teaching my teen or my kid? I'm teaching them the Word of God and teaching them how to apply the Word of God to their life. That's the key overarching thing. Now, you're sitting there and you go, Tom, are you trying to tell me that I shouldn't spend time helping my kids memorize the books of the Bible or how to open up a, a, an actual book and read it? N- not at all. I think they're incredibly valuable things. But it's not the overarching significant thing. The overarching significant thing is that we build the Word of God into our kids and we teach them how to live it out. Now, with that being said, the next G is I think there has to be some guardrails in our family. Some guardrails. You know what guardrails are, right? Is when you go around a curve a little too fast, and if you were to lose the car a little bit, there's the guardrail to protect you and keep you from plummeting off the thousand-foot cliff. A pretty significant thing. Now, when I was only 16 and driving up in the Big Bear Mountains in California, uh, those guardrails were like, you know, lifesavers. I never hit one, but I don't think I could have just my nerves could have driven on a road without those things in place uh, to catch me if something were to happen. So we, in, equally, we have to put some guardrails in play in our family when it comes to technology. Good guardrails will bring freedom and safety to your family. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you here. Um, this last week, as I was researching this, my first thought was, I'm going to kind of give you a few guardrails that have worked in our family that I put into place, and, and uh, I don't want to share with you how I think some of them are biblical and those type of things. Here's what I learned as I was researching and going. I thought, man, Tom, you have so much more work to do on this guardrail thing. You, you haven't thought through very well in all the areas of technology in your life to put good, solid, healthy things in place. So I want to share with you a lot that I discovered this week 
and that came as a challenge to me as well uh, to implement. Every Sunday night we sit down, we have kind of like a family meeting in our, we open up the calendars and we work through it and this type of thing. Shree works as an admin, so she like loves this type of meeting in our family. Um, and the rest of us, we're a step below loving it. Um, so, but, uh, but it's so significant and we do it every Sunday night. And I'm like really excited tonight about bringing some of this stuff here. Of course, my kids are sitting right here, so they're like, oh, great. So, <laughs> top two things that, that we found out, I found out this week, top two guardrails that are put in place. The, the first one was this, by parents that have really got a handle on this, check the tech was the first thing. Check the tech is what they said here. Check it. In an article uh, called Digital Deception, Digital deception. It was said that 73% of parents have admitted to what they call now online defeat. Online defeat. Basically saying, look, I'm too tired when I come home from work. I'm, I'm not tech savvy enough anyway. And so I just don't check any of the computers or technology or what my kids are doing on their devices. And I'm just, and here was the key phrase, I'm just hoping for the best. I'm just hoping that they'll, they'll make good choices in this. 73%. Look, none of us are going to raise our hand and admit to that this morning. None of us are going to say, yeah, that's, that's me. And, um, but it's 70, that's, that's three out of four of us. But I will. I'm, I'll tell you right now, there are times when I just, I haven't had the energy to want to go and really work through the technology and the devices to see if my, my sons or daughters are staying on track there. So I thought I would look at this a little bit, and I found a couple verses that I think were really challenging to us in this area. If you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 26, ver- or 22, verse 6, it tells us this this morning, that we need to guide and advise. Here's what it says. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Direct your children. Teach your children the proper way to go. And so we have to keep advising and guiding our children. I look at that verse and I think, you know, it's not enough to say my kid knows more about the computer or their tablet device, and it's already true in my family, um, than me, so what, you know, what really can I do here? It's our job to advise. It's our job to guide them and protect them in these areas. Uh, in Proverbs 29, 15, if you look at that, that we have to correct our children. It says, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. And you see this verse takes it a step further, saying we, we have to actually discipline and correct our children in these situations. I think the hardest thing for us today to figure out how to discipline and correct our children is in the area of technology. Because we're probably not going to walk in and the really bad thing is like right there on the screen left out in the middle of the room for us to see as we're walking past it. It takes a little work for us to look, to have the conversation with our child and to look in there. Teens today are as savvy as any of us as knowing how to erase or clear their history. In fact, in the same survey that I just gave you in the, in the article of Digital Deception, 67% of the, of the teens admit that they regularly erase their history so their parents can't tell where they have been, often disguising it with the phrase, I'm just trying to save memory. So it, it happens, and for us as parents, it's important part of our discipline and correction is to know. 
In Proverbs 4.23, it says we, we need to guard here. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Where your heart is, that's where you're going. And so we have to help guard our kids' hearts as well, what they're looking at, what they're spending their time in there. So checking the tech is, is incredibly important. Now, I want to say something if you're a Googler out there that maybe you don't like, and Googlers, we have a hard time enforcing. And that is, listen, Googlers, you, you don't own your phone, okay? You know what I'm saying here? You, you don't own your tech. Now, I know if you're Gutenberger, you're like, yeah, right on, preach it. Um, here's what we mean by that. Everything you post, everything you put out there, everything you, you text, Facebook, it doesn't matter. It goes somewhere, and it sits out there somewhere. You may put it out on Facebook, and then you go back, and, I, didn't, I should have said it, and then you delete it, it's still out there somewhere. Maybe it's not on the eyes that are, are on your friend list, but it's still in someone's database somewhere, and it goes, and it's out there. And so you have to know, when we talk about this, it's not just an issue of you own your phone, and, and I should be given the, the right to have that and the privacy of that. It's a protection. It's a guarding of our families by knowing and checking the text. Here's the number two thing that showed up uh, on there in these guardrails is that families would have tech-free zones. Tech-free zones uh, in the house or in their family and how their family function. And there's actually a, a, a now, in this, this is actually a, a, a legit thing called FOMO now. It's a diagnosable uh, issue that people are having. FOMO, it means fear of missing out. Fear of missing out, and it's almost always related to some type of technological uh, device, meaning that if I can't look, if I can't see, if I can't uh, know what's going on, then I have this fear of missing out. I'm missing something, and so I am tied in that. Can I just tell you, I feel that sometimes. I feel like maybe I should go talk to that doctor and get uh, the right prescription. Because I, 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 if you're like me, I feel sometimes tied to that technology, and I need to look at it, and I need to know what's going on and what's happening. Now, if you're like me, I, I usually work that in it creatively, like, you know, well, this is, it's my ministry, you know, to connect with people is, you know, that's what God has called me to do, so I need to keep looking. In reality, when I'm scrolling through and I'm looking at the last 8,000 posts on Facebook, you know, very few of them are actually ministry-related. Fear of missing out. Do you feel it? Do you, do you feel like you, you're connected in that? Um, I certainly, at times, feel that. In fact, I told you I was, we were looking at this for our teens, but do you know that three out of four adults actually admit that the first thing they check when they wake up in the morning is their phone? Guilty. There's been plenty of times guilty of that. One of the guardrails for me, and I really felt the Lord challenged me this week. I'd love to tell you I've been doing this the last three years, but it's been more like the last four days. Um, and that is the challenge of, Tom, if you're, if you're going to have that guardrail in place, how about looking at the scripture first before, before you look at anything else before you look at your phone and you work through on your phone. So I looked at the scripture on my phone the last three days and <laughs> then I thought oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm missing it here. Maybe I didn't quite catch what uh, the Lord was convicting me of. But I think the point is still valid that we, that we don't start our day looking at that. Now if you're like me sometimes I look at some stuff and, and I'll go ah oh, well that stinks. That puts me in a foul mood. And that's what we look at to start our day. 
God's Word, I don't think, does that. I think it's very different. Um, two weeks ago, I talked to you about this passage in a different way, but I, I think it came into play in this, Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 17. I want to read the whole thing to you. Some of it is in your notes. It says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to to do. What is it saying there? Remember we talked about two weeks ago, every opportunity that we redeem the time is basically what we're doing, that we need to be careful about what time we're throwing away. Now, before you just say, oh, what are you saying, Tom, we should never be on the computer, never look at Facebook, never, no, not necessarily what we're saying, but you know the difference. You know the difference in, in looking and staying connected versus some obsession, some of this FOMO that we just talked about here. And we find in these stats that it affects adults just the same. In fact, David had a, an opposite way of saying it in Psalm 46.10. He says, just be still and know that I'm God. But David actually believed that it would be enough to be still without technology, without anything else. David didn't even say, be still, but make sure you bring your guitar so you can do praise music. He just be still. And David actually believed that that would be enough to be still before God, to quiet before him, that would be enough to have a deep connectedness with God. I wonder if we don't know anything about that because we just never do it. But that's what he's talking about there. In fact, one of the things that I wanted to talk to my family about tonight is looking at a, a tech-free day. Like, do you think you could do that where you had like a blackout day where you took all your tech and you said, look, we're not going to do any tech all day? anything. We're just going to go out. Now, use your toaster, I guess, in the morning. That's some form of tech. I guess at some point in life that was a big breakthrough. Um, but if we put away our phones and our devices that we needed. In fact, I, I threw on my notes this morning that I wonder if I just said to the church this morning, if we looked at a day like saying, this Thursday, let's challenge each other to have a tech-free Thursday. Now, some of you are, uh, you, I said Thursday because I know you need a couple days in your work to prepare yourself. If I said tomorrow, you know, you, you wouldn't even be over the shock. Um, but if you want to join into that, if you want to just shoot and challenge yourself for a day, what would it look like in your family to have a whole day without tech? Then join us Friday, or Thursday, excuse me. Uh, Thursday and Friday. No, don't panic. Thursday. And see what it does in your life there. That would, uh, that'd be good. Barna did a, a survey, and he came up with this conclusion when it came to technology and the faith. Now, Barna is not Gallup. Barna, this is a Christian organization that does these surveys. Here's what he says. The conclusion of this survey between technology and faith was, it's difficult to stay connected to God when we're connected to tech. That was his conclusion. The more we're connected to technology, the more difficult it is to connect with God. Does that mean that technology is anti-God? Technology is the evil? No. In fact, technology, you know, it's amoral. It, it doesn't have a good or bad within itself. It's what we use it for. The Bible never says that money is bad, but we certainly use it for bad often. It's the same thing with technology. Bern is just making the suggestion that in, based on what they have studied, the more engulfed in technology we are, the harder it is to stay connected well with our faith. You may know the exception to that rule, and, and that's fine. But in general, I think we could, we could probably say, you know, that's, that sounds about right. 
So what do we do about this? If you if, uh, flip your page over, and I want to give you another G, and that's what I think we need to have some goals in our family. Good goals will bring purpose and focus to your family. Some goals. And we have goals in just about everything we do, but not always with our marriage, as we talked about last week, and not always with our family. But putting good goals into play. Like, here's one. What if one of our goals was to use technology to encourage? That we used our technology to help and encourage other people. And we have this incredible opportunity where we're connected with so many people. I mean, who's friendless is not over 100 or so. In fact, I hear people sometimes saying, I'm cutting that friendless down, you know, down to 100. You know, can you think about that? I mean, 100 friends, 100 connections? That would be crazy thinking about 50 years ago. But most of us, you know, we, we, we would admit we, we want to just keep running that friend total up. But it's a great opportunity to use our technology to encourage. If so many of us are looking for that notification, then how wonderful to get that notification in some way that encourages us. Here's one rule we have in the Raven household, is that with your social media, there's no negative on the social media. You're not allowed to post anything negative ever on your social media. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying my kids can never say anything uh, negative to us or critique us or sit and talk, but us as a family, that's where we do that. But we don't allow them to do that. That would mean that if we're going to the store and one of my sons like says, I don't want to go to the store. Going to the store again, you know, uh, we don't talk like that on social media. Why? Because we want to encourage and be respectful. And I want to be honest with you. That because many of you I'm connected with on Facebook. Um, and I would love to tell you that it's all my non-Christian friends' contacts that have this problem with it, but it's not the case. In fact, I would say one of the things that damages our witness as Christians the most in this technology age is what you post on your social media. And you have this great opportunity And what if you committed the same way and said, no negative. I'm not going to critique something. I'm not going to complain about something. I'm not going to talk about how long the line is at the DMV. We all know the line is long at the DMV. We we, we don't need the post on it, okay? What if we only encouraged all the time with our social media? I think it would be dramatically different. Here, if we had this rule, think before you post. Do you ever have that rule? Here's what I'm talking about. Think. It's right on your paper. True. Is, is this true, what I'm, I'm, I'm writing? Is this helpful, what I'm putting? Is it inspiring at all? Is it necessary, what I'm putting? Is it kind, what I'm putting down here? These are goals. These are things, rules you can put in place. Why? Because God's Word calls us to things like this. Philippians 4.8 says it this way, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If we're going to spend more time in our day and age on social media, because it's kind of who, who we are culturally, what a great opportunity to help people dwell on these things in ourselves as well. Here's another one here is use your technology to share your faith. Use it to share your faith. We have never lived in a time when we're connected with so many people and can get a message out to so many different people. So why not use that to share your faith? 
Tell your story. Tell your testimony. Share what God did today, what great thing God just did. God is good because of this. To share those type of stories would be wonderful. In fact, I would go so far to say that I don't think we've lived, anyone has lived in a time quite like today, 2014. Uh, Maybe the opportunity increases as we go, but we've never lived quite in a time like this where the opportunity to share our faith is so easy. It's so widespread out there. In fact, it reminds me of this verse I found in Habakkuk 1.5. (coughs) Habakkuk 1.5 says this, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, God talking. For I am doing something in your day, something that you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about that. Can you imagine if somebody told you 25 years ago or 30 years ago, here's this great evangelism tool, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be this worldwide web thing, and then they tried to explain to you what that meant and what you were going to be able to do through tweets on how you could share the gospel with other people. It wouldn't make any sense to us 30 years ago that the opportunity would be there. But, you know, through our technology, you have that opportunity today to share your faith and talk with other people. Now, I would say I think there is a danger if we decide to only share our faith through technology. Because in the end, it's no different than God's Word says. It's about a relationship. It's about sharing with somebody on their level. And the one-on-one does it the best. But we can use our technology. Did you know the recent Gallup poll, this was this year, 2014, said 53% of your friends, 53% of the people you know would go to church if they said this, this was the number one reason, if they found the right church, they would go to church. 53%. Now, I've led myself to believe that most people that don't go to church, they don't want to go to church. They don't believe in this stuff. They don't want to have really anything to do with this uh, type of thing. They've turned away from it, and they're done with it. But that's not what Gallup came up with. Gallup, not a Christian poll in this. Significant thing. So the opportunity is there to use technology to share your faith and to share what God has done in your life. All right, finally, I want to give you, as, as we live today, a uh, good takeaway at the bottom. All right. I thought, I know I've already hit 4G, but I thought by the time this, you know, technology moves so fast, by the time this message is over, it might, 5G might be on the market, so I better give you a 5G just to be sure. For your family, you can come together, probably starts with husband and wife, and develop one guardrail, one goal to help your family navigate this constantly connected world. That's, that's your takeaway today. I have one challenge as we leave for parents. And I want to say that this challenge was before me as well. There was a, a little article entitled, How to Miss a Childhood. And the list was 19 different things long. I want to share with you four of them. How to Miss a Childhood. Parents, hear this. Number one, keep your phone on all day. This was the number one thing there. Parents, we keep our phone on all day. We miss our kid's childhood. Two, let the beep interrupt the voice. Meaning let what pops up on our phone, interrupt the person that's in front of us. Bill Hybels, who's a pastor in, in, uh, at Willow Creek, a very large church, he said one time, and I, I just took this as him teaching me, there happened to be 20,000 people there, but uh, I took it as him teaching me, he said, the only person that ever interrupts a meeting is when I get a phone call from home. That means my wife or my kid, I'll interrupt any meeting on the highest level of what he meets at to answer that call. All the other ones, he, he does not pick up. 
Uh, that's, a, that's a really neat thing. Here's the third one. Talk on your phone while at the park or at your kid's game. It went on to talk about this one, that your kid's smart enough to know if you're just stealing looks away at times um, or if you're really paying attention to what's going on. Man, that one hit me hard. Guilty. Guilty in that. And finally, uh, and again, it's, the list is longer, but here's the fourth one for you. Use your drive time with family to make important phone calls instead of engaging with your kids in the back seat or in the seat next to you. What's your guardrail in your family? What's some goal in your family to help yourself in this tech world? Every once in a while, I share with you, ever so often, something that the Lord has helped me on, and I've gotten to a position where I can, I can speak a little bit more authoritatively. I'm telling you, I'm right in the middle of this with you this morning, but the Lord certainly challenged me, and I think he can challenge our church this week and you specifically as a parent. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that even on an issue that doesn't show up directly in your word as far as you speaking about the word technology, you can speak to us. You can teach us and you can remind us and tell us that it is our job as parents to raise up our children to to know you and to be connected with you and to help them with anything that would deter them or pull them away from the path you, you would have in front of them, that that's our job. Help us to do it with grace, Lord. Help us to do it with wisdom. Help us to know how technology works into it and how to keep technology from taking over. But Lord, there's also a a job you've called us to in our own connection with you, Lord. And in our own connection with you, sometimes as parents and adults, we're the ones that get off track. And our tech is often an issue. And so, Father, I pray this morning that if any way our technology or our gadgets are keeping us, if any way they have become more significant than you, Father, would we confess it before you this morning? And would we, like as David, would we even convince ourselves that just being quiet and still before you could even be enough to connect with you in a significant, significant way? Lord, I recognize that for some this morning, as, as they hear some of this, it's, it's just a small seed, and they need to go away and process and think on what is it God is telling me on this issue. And so I pray that would be it. They would steal away time where they could just sit and think and process and pray and that you would speak to them and their family the way that you would want to do that. We thank you for that, Lord, and we lift it up to you in your son's name. Amen. Well, good. Well, I appreciate you Let me walk through this, this topic the last couple of weeks. We're going to really jump in next week. But a uh, couple important things I, I need to add. Um, we have our 5K October 18th, our Caroline's Promise 5K, and we're actually helping you guys get registered on Sunday mornings. Crystal Kohanek's in the back, and she would love to walk you through, at least show you where you need to go. So if you have any question about that. Now, if you can run a 5K, great, come run a 5K. If you can come walk a mile, great, come walk a mile. If you say, I don't even want to move, fine, bring your chair and just sit. But we want to invite you to all join us that day, and we really want to connect more with Caroline's Promise, and that's the group we went to Guatemala on, and we plan to send additional teams in the coming uh, months, especially into next summer uh, as well. So one final thing, and this is important, and this is really exciting uh, for me, is for the last two years, um, I have been meeting with uh, a young man who is, uh, he's actually a fifth degree black belt, um, and so he's 
mentored me on the Taekwondo when I was taking Taekwondo for the last three years. But somewhere along the road, the Lord opened up the door for me to be able to, to kind of mentor and disciple him. And we started doing this regular every other week discipleship um, for the last two years. Um, and I had watched just this, this fervor and desire to spiritually lead his home and to plug into leadership in the church world. Um, and it just so happened here recently that uh, as the board, we had we'd kind of opened up in a position, of, a part-time position that we were looking for somebody to come and, and help and be a part of. And I wanted to continue this, this relationship with this person and, and start to give him practical leadership uh, opportunity. Um, and so I just decided, I knew he was working in another church, but I was just going to go offer him away and say, we've got this, you'd be incredible connection to our family. And so I did. I went and offered the position. And um, it, it took a, a little while for us to kind of figure out what it would look like as they were really plugged in to another one of our Wesleyan churches. Um, but this morning, um, I, I'm really excited to tell you that uh, the Haig family, and Mike Haig in particular, has, has come on uh, to our staff in a part-time role, uh, mainly co- covering events for us, but also allowing me to give him lead- church leadership opportunity as the Lord is guiding him more and more in, uh, in what ch- church leadership looks like. So I want to just take time to bring them up and, and introduce uh, you to them and uh, let you welcome them and then uh, let Mike uh, share a word with you. So, Mike Hayes, would you come up? Yeah. Now, I, I, realize, I realize Mike looks a little small up here next to my big buff body, but, um, <laughs> but I wouldn't pick a fight with this, with this one up here. So, right? Fifth degree? Fifth degree senior black belt. So, um, yeah, that's... Um, I don't know how many belts and how many years ahead of me. A lot. So, uh, yeah. But it's Mike, his wife, Kristen, and their kids are, are down the hall, Micah and Kinley as well. And uh, I'll let him uh, share a word with you. Uh, real quick, guys. Um, I'm not used to talking to this thing, so hopefully you can hear me. Um, I'm really not new to this church. Um, I, I was actually saved at Wendover Hills back at the old facility back in 2004. My wife brought me here. We had friends that were coming here. Uh, we visited here and there um, over the many years. Um, one of the things that I've kind of bragged about when meeting with Tom and visiting every now and then with you guys is this church really knows where the heart is at and, and I'm really glad to be able to come here and grow with you guys. And, um, my kids, since attending here every week lately, my kids come home and we're driving the van and we're watching videos on the uh, DVD player and someone from Florida, oh hey, we learned about this today. And, and you can't, you just can't teach that to every kid and then retain that. So, um, this church is really has good things going on. I'm excited to grow in it. I'm excited to meet everybody. Um, I have one promise to you. As, as 10 of you introduce yourselves to me or vice versa, I promise I will remember at least one name every time. Okay? Um, but thanks for having us, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And um, I'm here to get to know you guys. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Mike is, uh, is jumping right into it because one of our biggest events we do is Trunk or Treat, and he is, the, uh, he is the head person now for Trunk or Treat, so don't call me. Call him, okay? So, I don't know. I don't know. Talk to Mike. So, um, but he's going to get his feet wet right away, um, so it's going to be great. Well, why don't you stand with me? Our ushers are going to come. They're going to take our morning offering, and we're going to just uh, go out cranking and singing one more. <laughs> 